0: Harriet's Butterflies, by Ben Henderson. Do you remember? Do you remember the one you had last night? No. Like will-o'-the-wisps, aren't they? Dreams. So universally experienced, yet so unique to each, and so seemingly unquantifiable. Freud contended they represented unfulfilled wishes. Jung that they were the unconscious mind glimpsing at the events of the day. Fritz Pearl suggested they were parts of ourselves that had been ignored or suppressed. In the 4th century, Herodotus was saying they were simply our minds unpacking its daily cares. Now Harriet van Bregman is a wealthy woman, a very intelligent, very wealthy woman. She's been described as many things in her 42 years, but her dreamer isn't one of them. Harriet is well-educated, well-traveled, well healed, well-read and well-spoken. Harriet is even, in certain circles, well-known. She's never sought any press attention, but it's come to her as it does for some through their marriages, their money or how they take their pleasures. It's art or more specifically fine art that pleases Harriet, and the press interest in her comes in waves – waves associated with her frequent high-end purchases. Despite her extravagant tastes, wherever she is, city centre or provincial town, Harriet will always sniff out an art gallery. Not all merit her actually opening the door, but they all every one receive a window inspection as she decides if there's sufficient to entice her to put her hand on the tarnished brass door handle and push. Something to make her ring the automated entry bell as she puts her foot on the brown, bristling doormat.
1: I'm going for a stroll. No, 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 I don't need you. You finish your coffee. I'm only going to the end of the pan tiles. I may have a ciggy.
2: everyone refreshing cold spring water on a hot summer day once it was fashionable now it's just free come on folks is it one at a time or none at a time how about you madam
1: there it is i knew there'd be one along here somewhere
0: On a bright Saturday afternoon, Harriet found herself entering a gallery, being led by the hand by the blind proprietor.
2: Come through, that's it. I'm so pleased you thought to visit. How exciting! May I take this off now? I'm glad you think so. The blindfold, yes,
1: please do. I don't mind playing, but has it spoilt my hair? It hasn't spoilt my hair, has it?
0: At that moment she notices her host is wearing dark glasses, And is apparently blind.
1: I'm sorry. Never mind. It's such a glorious day. We shouldn't be cooped up inside too long on a day like this.
2: I like to feel the sun on my face.
1: Everything looks better in the sunshine.
2: Everything feels better.
1: I'm being rather clumsy, aren't I? The weather is such a stock subject for us, isn't it? We just say the same things over and over without thinking. I'm Mrs... No. I'm Harriet. Just Harriet. And I'm going to assume you are Mrs Cross.
2: We can all be on first name terms these days. Rita.
0: Mrs Cross holds out her hand towards her. Harriet moves to take it and shakes it lightly.
1: I know that. That's Arabic. Favoured by
2: God. I wonder, Harriet.
1: English. Ruler of home, I understand. If the hat fits... I think it's very clever. There's so little imagination displayed these days.
2: Imagination,
1: your shtick, your sales technique, your build-up. It can be such a monochrome world. A bit of colour, why not? I thought I'd seen them all, but this is pretty unique, really. It's very good. Everyone likes a bit of mystery, don't they?
2: This isn't aimed at everyone.
1: Good. Because I like the exclusive even more than I like the mysterious.
0: Harriet takes a small business card from her handbag and reads.
1: Cross, collections, ring, etc. Here I am. Yes, here you are. Over the years I've been lured to auctions and sale houses by champagne and caviar. Chippendales and crooners. But the blindfold and limo. Fun. But it's a bit hammy. Or a little bit Hitchcock?
2: You rang the number.
1: I'm a sucker for Hitchcock. I'm a frustrated Hitchcock blonde. Are you? My husband says collecting is my adventure. He thinks I'm a bit crazy. And I tell him he eats too much and doesn't take very good care of himself. I am still the same size as the day we married. Who's the crazy one? It's insatiable in some people, isn't it? The collecting urge...
2: It can be a lifelong pursuit,
1: can't it? One hunts, one finds, one bids, one buys, one catalogues, one rests, then one hunts and so on. And I'm a very good hunter. It's my métier, even though I do say it myself. Sigmund said we're anal retentives. Sod, Sigmund, I say.
2: And Jung said, collecting and completing sets is simply derived from our ancient need to gather nuts and berries. Who knows, I expect Jung is quoted more than Freud. By collectors? Yes, by collectors. Should one use the
1: word anal on a first meeting?
2: You say what you think.
1: Generally, unless I convince myself there's a strong reason not to.
2: And here you are.
1: And where is here, pray tell?
2: The blindfold should suggest to you that where we are is not general knowledge. (laughs) Are you going to keep this up? All right, I'll play along. I'll not spoil the
1: sport. But I'm just going to have a peep at the GPS on my phone.
0: Harriet searches in her handbag.
2: It's not there.
1: Where is it? Nearby. Did that dark driver with a smile of yours take it from my handbag? The contents of my phone are private and taking things from my bag is intrusive. This is now making me just a little uncomfortable. Please return my phone. I'll have it back now, thank you. You will. I want my phone, Rita.
2: And I have rules. I don't care about your rules. Return my phone. You've been in other venues where photography is expressly forbidden. So, this isn't the Duomo, is it? It's not the Sistine Chapel. What does your phone
1: have, additionally to GPS? A camera, you mean. I see. Very well. You keep it for now. Keep up your shtick. But I'll tell you now, I am not an easy mark. This had better be worth my time and inconvenience.
2: You are here, as are the things you desire.
1: Oh, are they now? You don't know me. How could you possibly know what I desire? I'll tell you right now, I may like your shtick. But I won't play politely and nicely while you file me past some Royal Academy rejects or some daubs by a frightfully local, didn't-know-he-had-it-in-him car mechanic who wants to exchange oil for oils and brake pads for brushes and crying out for the attention and sponsorship of an art-hungry but less-than-discerning stuffed-purse philanthropist because that is not me.
2: Joshua by Donatello. The Terracotta. The terracotta.
1: You have a copy?
2: I have the original.
1: Oh, really? Oh, do you really? The Pagans
2: by Botticelli.
1: Destroyed in the bonfire of the Vanities. That one you
2: mean? Leonardo's leader and the swan.
1: Missing from the royal palace at Fontainebleau.
2: Missing and now found. Here. Incredible. Miraculous. Cellini's, The Wedding of Neptune. Missing. Titian, The Battle of Spoleto. Destroyed. The Crucifixion. Don't tell me, Peter
1: Paul Rubens. The same. Lost at sea, 1820.
2: Lost at sea, washed up here. Things that were lost. I'm intrigued. Naturally. no.
1: I'm intrigued by how you are going to deal with my inevitable disappointment when the glaringly obvious reality, the inexorable truth that these items aren't here, is revealed. You know, I now feel compelled. I feel I have to wait to listen to that part of your routine, that part of your
2: stick. I do know who you are, Mrs Van Bregman. I know what you buy. I know you don't care to telephone bid. I know you like to be in the room. Are you really going to pleasantly anticipate disappointment?
1: Collecting at the level I do has its highs and its inescapable lows. I have a certain threshold for pain and disappointment. Have you got one of those extraordinarily able forgers like, um, what's his name? John Myatt. Is he turning out genuine fakes for you? There's a market for him now, you know. He always seems too nice to be dishonest. He was a school teacher, apparently, and teachers don't cheat, do they? I wonder if anyone will ever forge a John Myatt. Wouldn't that be just too ironic?
2: Imagine how thrilling it would be if you could see all the works I've mentioned. Shtick!
1: Let's get it over and done with. But if it bores me, I will waste ten times more of your time than you have of mine. If it amuses me, I may even buy one of your fakes. If it makes me laugh and interests me, I may even pass your card on to other wealthy collectors of my acquaintance who may enjoy your little snake oil sideshow.
2: Through here, is it? Just a moment. It isn't time yet. If you go into that part of the gallery, you may not find what may be found in here. I hadn't
1: taken two steps and, whoops, Caravaggio is slipping away from me already.
2: Rats. Rules. Oh, yes, of course. Rules. Cellini, Velasquez and Titian. No Caravaggio.
1: No Caravaggio. But who would possibly care? Who, in their right mind, could express any objection when so much else is here?
0: Harriet opens some red curtains, concealing the contents of a small display cabinet.
1: A pair of old men's shoes, buckled, 18th century, old tanned leather.
0: She picks them up and examines them.
1: No discernible difference between the left and right, which makes them appear authentic. But even then, they're an oddity, not a rarity, and of no interest to me. To me, shoes are Zanotti, Versace or Louboutin. No sale, Mrs Cross. They may be the shoes of the Scarlet Pimpernel. Are they now? Well, I know why you haven't sold them. You do? I hope this doesn't come as too much of a shock to you. But the Scarlet Pimpernel was a fictional character. So whatever size, whatever colour, whatever style he liked, one thing is definite. One thing is unambiguous about his shoes, and that is they were fictional too. I don't suppose you'd accept my notional £50 pounds for your fictional shoes. Please don't bother showing me Robin Hood's hoodie or Peter Pan's pants next.
2: It said the wearer of those shoes could escape detection.
1: Brilliant. (laughs) They seek him here, they seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Oh, please. Much historical fiction
2: is based on historical fact. Shtick. How long have you had those shoes? Quite a long time.
1: Yes, I think you'll have them a long time yet. I can't see anybody walking off with them. Unless, of course, you admit a miscreant 'er ne'er-do-well shoplifter who half-inches them and then evades detection by putting them on his feet. While all his light-fingered mates are lined up in the juvenile court, he remains happily at large, completely baffling the poor old Plod as long as he's a crook from the ankles up and Captain Hook from the ankles down.
0: (laughs) Can you hear me?
1: Oh dear, I hope that's not one of your disappointed customers. I'm not going to be a witness to some sort of unpleasant dispute, am I? Someone who's been wised up? Someone with a strong case for a refund returning Robinson Crusoe's
2: cufflinks? No, it's not. Everyone I meet parts with their money willingly and contentedly. I see the more attractive side of people, especially when the sun's shining.
0: Harriet playfully takes the umbrella from the coat stand.
1: OK, don't tell me. This brolly was in a James Bond film. It's bulletproof. No, Sean Connery fired a poison dart with it. No, not 007. The British TV thing, The Avengers. Steed, that's it. It was Steed's umbrella.
2: No, it wasn't.
1: No, I've got it. Gene Kelly singing in the rain. No. Mary Poppins.
2: Feed the birds, tuppence a bag. It's just an umbrella. An umbrella like any other. Now that was silly.
1: You've missed a sales opportunity. I'd set it all up for you. All the groundwork was done. The ball was in the air and you didn't hit it. I may have been taken in entirely. Now you'll never know.
2: Or am I still softening you up? Is it part of my shtick? Oh yes,
1: perhaps you are. Let me review then the next item. Tease me. Give me the first letter. M. Manet, Matisse, Monet, Miro, Munch.
0: Again, Harriet opened some red curtains on a wall-mounted display cabinet.
1: Nothing so obvious.
2: It's a mirror. Yes, it's a very old-looking glass. Venetian.
1: It's just a mirror. I have mirrors. I have many mirrors. I have properties all over the world, and they all have mirrors. And some are even, like this one appears to be, antique mirrors. In fact, I bought a mirror like this in Venice on my honeymoon. They're of
2: no interest to me. That mirror may have had some interesting
1: owners. I see. Enthrall me. Cary Grant, Leslie Howard. Laureen Bacall? No, it wouldn't be them. You prefer the property of the fictional. It was Tintin's. No, it was Popeye's. It was Popeye's eye-popping mirror.
0: <laughs> Harriet playfully flexes her muscles in the mirror.
1: Tom, Dick and Harry? How enticing. An old mirror owned by Uncle Tom Cobbley and all.
2: Two Toms, a Dick and a Charlie, actually. What a marvellous acquisition. Thomas Hobbes, Thomas Paine, Richard Wagner and Charles Darwin. That mirror belonged to them? You doubt what I say. Who was Harry? There was
1: no Harry. No Harry. I don't suppose this mirror, by any conceivable chance, comes with any provenance. None. Darwin's house was converted into a school. It was thrown out. Acquired it then. Are it somewhere about his house. I mean, no documentation, no photographs and no inventories. None. Then it's just an old mirror with a large helping of your wonderful
2: shtick. To you, maybe. It knows what you're thinking. What does? The mirror. When you look into it, it knows what you're thinking. Does it know I'm thinking
1: you're trying too hard now? it knows what you're thinking. Apart from sounding a little poetical, slightly lyrical, what possible value could that add? If I know nothing else, nothing else at all, if I had learnt nothing at all, at the very least I know what I am thinking. Every conscious, sentient human knows that too.
2: Yes, you do. Everybody knows what they're thinking. But that doesn't preclude those making bad choices, making bad decisions. As long as you look in that mirror... You will come to the best decision. You will make wise choices. As long as you
1: look in the mirror.
2: The mirror will help you. Help you? Reflect.
1: Love it. The mirror that helps you reflect. Genius. Does it know I'm wondering how many of those you sold to half-wits? Charles Darwin's mirror? His thinking mirror? Old Charlie Boy did ten laps round his garden and had one eye in the mirror and one on the paper in front of him as he scratched out his theory of evolution with his old quill pen.
2: The mirror may have been in his study. Others may have owned it too.
1: Yes, you said. The mirror for the masters of music, philosophy and science. How many of these are over the fireplaces in Tunbridge Wells or hanging in the halls of Hildenborough?
2: There's only one. And plainly, I haven't sold it. No.
1: No. Of course you haven't. Now you're going to tell me it's such a special item, it simply must be owned by the right person. The right, wealthy, invited specially has to be you, person. Am I wrong? Is that the expectation? Yes. And that person is me. And then I fall over myself trying
2: to get my cash out. (laughs) No, I meant yes, you're wrong. I'm wrong. The mirror's not for sale. Brilliant. Even better.
1: You've jumped to the it's not for sale line. I'm still enjoying this, but it's gone a little predictable. You need to up your game when you're playing at my level. You're going to wheel out the, I don't want to sell, but I've just found out that my granddad, mum, kid or dog's got cancer or whatever. And simply must have this life-saving operation that is going to cost however much. And that's the only reason why you're compelled to sell that mirror to me for a thousand. Then I offer you 500, you take it and we go our separate ways. I can't be manipulated like that. It's akin to slapping me in the face. It's insulting if you think that I am that naive. Go on. Sorry. Don't let me stop you and your shtick. No shtick, no sale. How much?
0: Rita smiles and shakes her head.
1: Come on. I'm a busy woman. I don't play games. You're not a busy woman at all. And you love playing these sort of games. What? That was unexpected. That's very blunt, and that's very rude. Is what I've said untrue? Perhaps it's not altogether untrue, but I think I'm accustomed to being
2: treated with... Fawning sycophancy? Yes, maybe I am. Do you want fawning sycophancy from me? Do you want me to be obsequious? Now,
1: no, I don't think I do. Oh, I get it. This is some more of your shtick. And now you're being hard-nosed... It's a switch. You're trying to put me off balance. It's a switch. You're changing the background. You're changing the mood. Your demeanour. It's good. Honestly. Really good. You nearly had me there. Listen, I've been doing this so long, you're not going to shock me. There's nothing I haven't seen or heard before. Why do you collect? Is it just the quest? I'm interested in the old. I'm interested in the rare. I have an eclectic taste and I have a very great deal of money. Money, money, money. That's
2: vulgar, isn't it? It's vulgar, but I like it. Yes, you like to collect. You have the panoply of the artistic world in which to harvest to your heart's content.
1: I feel I'm in that fortunate position where I can help the world and, of course... The artists themselves.
2: That's just the answer your staff are instructed to give to less-than-probing cub reporters when they contact your office. How did your involvement help? That's a strange question. Isn't it obvious? How would anything move if I,
1: or people like me, well-resourced people, didn't buy?
2: The most contemporary work you've ever bought is an Edward Hopper.
1: I'm told it's very much a rising market for Hopper's work.
2: You went to that auction to buy an Augustus egg. When that was withdrawn from the sale, you only bought the hopper because you hate to leave empty-handed. What's your point, assuming you have one to make? Hopper died in 1967, so your financial input wouldn't be sustaining any artists currently, would it? There isn't really any moral high ground in what you do. You're not grist to the mill, are you? I collect
1: what I like. Not what others think I should. I'm a collector.
2: So you say, and so you are. But why do you collect? You don't appear to understand why. If you know who I am,
1: you'll know I don't have to justify my actions. Things happen because I say they should. Things happen the way I want them to happen. People exist around me for the sole reason of making those things happen. You really can't know who it is you're talking to
2: or you wouldn't say anything so impertinent. You may have mistaken my interest for impertinence. How do we understand if we do not question? My
1: housemistress used to say that. How do we learn if we do not question? Have you
2: ever been questioned like this? Nobody's really interested in why I do what I do. It doesn't warrant any explanation. People don't ask questions, the answers to which they already know. What a pity. Yes, pity. Pity's
1: not a sentiment that sits comfortably with most people.
2: Nor should it. You think I meant pity for me. I didn't mean that at all. Then I don't
1: think I know what you mean.
2: Perhaps it will fall into place. So,
1: you're inquisitive about the acquisitive, eh? Perhaps, reader, I have a keen eye. Perhaps I have a sensitivity that allows me to be a collector.
2: Everyone's a collector
1: are they? Are you going to say something rather twee about stamps, butterflies or pressing fallen leaves in heavy, dusty books? Is that what you mean? Scars, memories, experiences maybe. Oh, how wistfully poetical. Are you going to tell me there's something dark about collecting? Are you going to give me some more Freud? Demi Moore collects dolls, Sharon Stone cashmere sweaters, Hardly evil personified, are they?
2: Donald Trump collects skyscrapers and Napoleon countries. And I must
1: have sat between them both at school. How funny. Am I supposed to in some way counter that by saying Saint Louis collected saints' relics, and Henry Wellcome's preoccupation hasn't been condemned? My goodness, I wasn't expecting anyone to crunch my credo like this today. You never sell anything you collect. I don't need to sell anything. What would be the point in buying something I had no intention of keeping? I'm a collector, not a
2: speculator. Once these works have found themselves in your possession, they're never seen again by the general public. As you appear to do, I must consider security. Yes, security. Many museums and galleries have made requests to you. Places with state-of-the-art security, they've all been denied. I have never denied. I don't recall ever
1: denying anyone anything. Ignored then. It amounts to the same thing. I don't respond to begging letters. I'd never do anything else.
2: But surely the purpose of these things, their only purpose really, is to be seen and to enrich. In your possession, all these works are lost to the world.
1: I'm not destroying them. I'm owning them. Why should I feel some implacable obligation to freely feast the eyes of the undeserving?
2: Undeserving? What makes someone undeserving?
1: Look at the V&A. Barely 200,000 visitors every year. Probably more than half of which are curious tourists. The Tate Modern. They couldn't even tell you where it is. Give them art and they ignore it. I don't ignore it. I collect it.
2: But do you really value it?
1: I pay very large sums of money to own these works. In those terms, who could value anything more than I? Is that what you really value? Is this semantics? My turn. Why do you collect beyond the commercial imperative? Let's put your motivations under the spotlight, shall we? Don't you think the minimum requirement is that you should be able to see what you have? What possible pleasure can you extract from anything that only has a visual dimension? God forbid you don't mistake my interest for impertinence.
2: I'm a simple collector. To use the colloquial, I do what it says on the tin. I collect for other people's benefit. You make it sound so noble. I don't feel noble. I feel useful. That's enough.
1: I've never heard it put that way before, useful. Is that a difficult concept for you? Not difficult, just strange. The idea that collecting is useful I
2: find incongruous. We can't all see things the same way, can we? Vive la différence. It's a fundamental to identity, isn't it? What is? How we relate to each other, how we need, and how we, in turn, are needed. Is it?
1: No man is an island and all that.
2: For whom the bell tolls,
1: it tolls for thee. John Donne, you know the poem? Of course I know the poem. I didn't only study fine art. Had you put me down as limited and pampered? I hadn't put you down as anything. My parents packed me off to Gordonstone. I certainly wasn't pampered there. Plenty of roughing it, plenty of fending for self... "'I've got a scar where I burnt myself on a campfire "'and another by my navel where the naughty, shared fag "'got accidentally stubbed on my tummy "'as it was passed back along the line. "'I wasn't looking. "'I had my hands gently cupped around a mountain ringlet. "'I never kept them. I just caught them. "'Harriet Radisson's catching butterflies again, miss. "'I can still skin a rabbit and gut a fish if the need arose.' Don't judge a book by its cover.
2: I can't do that. Was that insensitive? You know what I mean. I do know what you mean, Mrs Van Bregman. Tell me about
1: Gordonston. I'd go back in a heartbeat. Time of my life. You didn't mind being away from home? Home is where you make it. Dad was a diplomat. I couldn't follow him round the world, could I? Why would he want that?
2: That would have been inconvenient.
1: He had an important job. He always said that on the occasions he was introduced as an important man. He said he was an ordinary man but had an important job. He wouldn't want me hanging around his legs.
2: That would never do.
1: Your Excellency, please excuse Mr. Radisson while he helps Harriet with her homework. Would the Chargé d'Affaires mind discussing this in the garden? Harriet's up a tree. It made me independent resilient. Toughened you up. There's such beautiful butterflies in Scotland. I could never bring myself to collect them. He used to say I gave him butterflies when we first met. I told him he sounded like a tormented, lovesick teenager. I said that, but I quite liked it, really. Your husband? Yes. I wonder where they go. They're like people, aren't they? They're there, then they're gone. You really can't pin them down.
2: Unless you collect them. But then they're not butterflies anymore. They're just beautiful, but lifeless. Little pictures. Sounds a little ethereal, doesn't it? Yours isn't a world of the ethereal or the spiritual, is it? Yours is a world of substance. And yet art is the most important thing to you.
1: My husband busies himself with OPEC. My children are in boarding school in Switzerland. They fly home first class every holiday. You don't collect them? No. One of our staff gets them. Oh, I see. You were being funny. You were being funny, weren't you? Was I? My children eat the best, wear the best. They're taught by the best. They have the most fantastic time. Not a great deal of your time, though. I don't believe in smothering children. That stunts their development. And don't presume to give me a lecture in child psychology. Home is merely where you lay your head and keep your possessions round you.
0: Harriet notices the chiffon around Rita's neck.
1: Tartan. What was tartan? The first thing I collected. We didn't have a lot of space in the dormitory. I collected tartan ties. That chiffon you have around your neck, that's a Glen Allerdale, Did you know that? Yes, yes I did. That was the first one in my collection. My dad gave it to me that day. Which day? The day they dropped me at school. He couldn't find a hanky. He took the tartan tie he was wearing off and dried my eyes with it. I could identify every Scottish clan by the time I was ten. Clan?
2: Family, ties. Do you think we've come back to identity? I think you've read too much into it. I need to see to Jack Wolfe.
1: Your assistant? My dog. Let me help you.
0: Harriet goes to take Rita's arm. Don't touch her. Don't move her.
2: Was that aimed at me? No, I'm quite all right. I can manage. I'm glad you're not here on your own.
0: Harriet looks in the mirror. She makes sure nobody's looking, takes it from the wall, places it in her attaché case and closes it. She draws the curtains. She takes a checkbook book from her handbag and writes a cheque, then writes a note.
1: Couldn't leave empty-handed. Cheque for a thousand in drawer with business card. Contact my office if this is insufficient. Harriet Van Bregman.
0: As Harriet closes her attaché case, reader enters.
2: You
1: were talking about your husband. Was I? Well, what's to be said? We don't live in each other's pockets. We're not those sort of people. He's away a lot. I see him when he's in the UK. He says the UK is dreary and the British are as cold and miserable as their weather. He didn't always think that. Why am I telling
2: you this? We're just two people having a conversation. A conversation that people have when they're getting to know each other. I've never felt the compunction to have this sort of
1: conversation with... With? With the proprietor of an art gallery, someone
2: I've just met. It's just a conversation. I'm of no threat to you. I have no expectations. I don't open up to strangers in this way,
1: usually. I speak to him every few days, more if he remembers to call. He doesn't, usually. I don't pursue him. What would be the point? I'll only be fobbed off by a well-rehearsed flunky. No point in putting them through it or myself. Besides, I wouldn't want to appear that needy. Out of sight, out of mind. It wasn't always like that. My husband wanted a woman who could turn heads and have a head for Turner. I fitted the bill. Adapte à l'objectif.
2: Beauty without intelligence is like a masterpiece painted on a napkin.
1: I've heard that before somewhere. My mother said we both married well, him very well, me oil well. (laughs) She said it to everybody. My mother, God help us. For a woman who was married to a diplomat, she wasn't always... Diplomatic? Not at all. She always said what she thought. She had no filters and she got worse as she got older. Perhaps he thought he could change her. Perhaps he thought he could dilute that painfully tactless outspokenness. Who knows? Opposites attract. They divorced. A high-flying diplomat married to a woman who couldn't contain herself was not destined to celebrate many anniversaries. They both remarried. I get my bluntness from her. My husband wanted a woman who could flutter, flatter, and finesse. And speak French fluently. You can. I studied at the Sorbonne. I cycled every day through boisterous Paris traffic. And I've had some of my best rows in French. I'm still expected to flatter and finesse. But not flutter. He keeps a butterfly for that. You don't object. He's discreet. You seem very passive. He's not a Neanderthal. He's a wealthy, middle-aged man doing what wealthy, middle-aged men do. It doesn't interfere with anything. He still comes home to me, and I pursue my own interests.
2: Is he collecting butterflies?
1: Oh, yes. I suppose he is, if you put it like that. But as long as the collection remains small, he doesn't advertise... I don't see them adorning my home and the collection isn't shown to anyone I know or anyone who knows me. Let him collect. I shan't even credit it with any importance by acknowledging it. Does that make me sound cold, disconnected, like an old English aristocrat? Do you think it does? Yes, a little. Or is it just being pragmatic?
2: Can you be pragmatic? About love?
1: Reader, you can be pragmatic about whatever you like, if you can afford it.
2: You're being stoic. Preserve the
1: dynasty, keep the peace, don't rock the boat, and keep it nice for when the children come home. Yes, I suppose I am, rather than a messy divorce. A financial debacle played out in the courts and the papers. And who's having the kids for Christmas? Is that what you choose? I still have a role in life. That's important, isn't it?
2: Is it the role you chose, or the one that's been chosen for you? Some of the men in my
1: husband's circle have such a primitive expectation of women. They do? I can confound them. I don't just dazzle them with what I know. I can humiliate them by showing them what they don't know. Or enchant them by allowing them to demonstrate what they do. They never quite know what to expect. I think that's the thrill for them. A role chosen for me, how strange. I've never considered it quite like that.
2: Yes, you have.
1: Is this a gallery or a counselling session? We're only talking. I should get along. They'll be worried where I am. They will. My staff. I left Harry sitting at the table. Do you want me to call someone? Is that your assistant? Uh, No, I'll do it myself. Listen, I've taken the mirror. I've written you a check. You can't take the mirror, really. You can stop the shtick now. You've sold a mirror. You've worked hard for that sale, so well done.
0: Mrs Cross opens the curtains to reveal the mirror is there. Harriet opens her attaché case.
1: It's gone. How did you do that? If you have no intention of selling me anything, why bring me here? You chose to be here. You. I think I deserve an answer. A real answer. Don't you? Think where you've been today. Don't waste any more of my time. I'm waiting for a simple, rational answer. I'll help you understand, if you let me. Very well, as you seem to be enjoying our little tete-a-tete. If you must know... I am buying a house in Tunbridge Wells, near High Rocks. It's empty. I went there with Harry, our security advisor. We met the interior designer at the house. That's it.
2: What happened when you were there?
1: Nothing. I approved the designs. Harry did a survey. There was a guard in the gatehouse. We caught him by surprise. He was asleep. He was watching an old film. Harry got me out of earshot and put a rocket up him, and we left.
2: Where did you go then?
1: It was one o'clock. I was hungry. Harry suggested we could eat on the pantiles. I remember the Liebersthut was playing as he parked the car. I told Harry to turn it up. At the south entrance to the pantiles, there was a woman with a dog. She was standing with her face in the sun. What did you do? I... Go on. I walked around her. She had a collection box. I hate having those things rattled at me. Before you say anything, we have the Van Bregman Foundation. We've contributed to causes all around the world. I do not need to have a Red Cross tin waved at me.
2: The Foundation mostly channels other people's money, doesn't it? It was done for tax purposes. We were advised to set it up. It does a lot of good work. Does it? Or was it designed to be the friendly face of your husband's less-than-eco-friendly global economic activities?
1: That's none of my business.
2: Perhaps it should be.
1: Perhaps it will be. I've been thinking lately. I could do much more with it. I was thinking about it today. I've been thinking about many things recently. Go on. The restaurant was busy. What did we expect on a Saturday there was one table left outside. I said, you don't expect me to sit out here with every Tom Dick and." I stopped myself. Harry laughed. And then? We had something to eat. I told Harry I was going for a walk. I noticed a shop with umbrellas in the window. Umbrellas on a day like this. A relaxed approach to the window dressing, I thought. I was thinking in times gone by there would have been parasols in the window. I was thinking of the happy courting couples promenading along the pantiles, the men courteously dofting their hats, and the tightly corseted ladies almost fainting in the heat for fashion, daintily holding their parasols. There was a small crowd gathered by the railings where the spring is. They had a guy in 18th-century garb, you know, in costume for the tourists, the day-trippers. He was ladling water from the Calibé Spring. I was watching him. He was beaming at everyone. He was one of those people who seemed to be able to smile and speak at the same time, like Liberace. There was a street entertainer nearby. A street entertainer? Yes. He'd drawn a crowd, too. The sunshine brings them all out. Mrs Van, can you hear me? Now, I know that voice. That's Harry. Mrs Van. He's always called me that. Ex-military. They don't like to waste words, do they? He's come looking for me. He's doing his
2: job. I should have told him I was going. Harry's fine. You don't need to worry about Harry. I'll speak to him. He'll wait. What was the street entertainer doing?
1: Juggling. He was wearing a blindfold and juggling. He'd had a book balanced on his head. I'm going to get them back. I've had the designer do something wonderful with their rooms. The children? Yes, the children. I've made my mind up. I don't want them boarding in Switzerland. They're coming home. I want them home. There's perfectly good schools in Tunbridge. I'm going to look at one tomorrow. I'm going to ask Harry to take me and I'm going to ask him when I get back to the table. She was blind. Who was blind? The woman with the collection box. She was blind, but I still walked around her. I'm going to draw a line in the sand, reader. It's going to
2: change. What aren't you going to put up with? His affairs, his butterflies. You're going to regain your self-respect. I
1: am. I really am. It was a book on English philosophers. The book? The book the juggler was balancing on his head. A heavy, hard-back book. You have an eye for detail, don't you? I certainly do. One should focus on the things that really matter. Don't ignore them. Don't get distracted. It's not always easy. Things are simpler than people. They are. They're easier to control, aren't they? They're easier to... Possess? Yes, if you like. He had such a lovely smile. Smile? The young man at the spring with the ladle. I noticed his smile and his shoes. You noticed his shoes, didn't you? They were normal black slip-ons with silver-sprayed cardboard buckles attached. Doesn't matter, I thought. If you can smile like that, nobody will notice your shoes. Harriet, can you
2: hear me? I'm a doctor. The doctor wants you, Harriet. Why does a doctor want me? What did you do next? I ambled
1: along to the gallery. I was looking through the window The shopkeeper looked up at me from behind her desk and smiled. There was an old mirror on the wall behind her. I could see my reflection. I put a Sobrani in my holder. Silly habit. I should kick it. I had my hand on my lighter in my bag. I can smell something. Something strange. It's beautiful the way they've kept this old Georgian parade... The ornate shop fronts, the one next to the gallery, is boarded up. There's a box of tourist flyers for local attractions just inside the door of the gallery. I thought that was unusual in a gallery. The ones at the front are for Darwin's house.
2: They've been renovating that shop for a while. It's going to be a boutique, lots of bright colours. It's going to be called Chrysanthemum. They've attached a logo to the hoarding. He was in such a hurry to finish last night. He couldn't have realised he'd drilled through the gas pipe. He was in such a hurry to get to that cold pint of lager. It's been so hot these last few days. So very hot. He's been sweating in there all day. Tradesmen are always in such a rush on a Friday. He just wouldn't have seen what he'd done.
1: I was looking in that mirror thinking. Thinking of all the changes I'm going to make. I was thinking, shall I go back to Harry now? I can smell something strange it's really quite strong then i saw it you saw the butterfly a red admiral i saw it in the mirror as it flew behind me it settled on the chrysanthemum
2: i'm sorry there's nothing i can do she's gone time of death 155 pm
1: i've remembered
2: You've remembered the film, haven't you?
1: The film the guard was watching. It was the Scarlet Pimpernel.
2: Yes, it was.
1: Rita, I think I've...
2: I think I've been in an... Accident? Yes, I'm afraid you have. I'm afraid it was a nasty accident. And I... uh, I'm... Dreaming. Yes, you are. Don't worry now. Don't fight. You're dreaming a final, peaceful dream. Oh, Reader, there was so much I wanted to do. I could have done so much more. Can't I? I'm afraid you can't. It's time. You have to let go now. You'll be fine. I'll come with you. May I see the collection now? Yes, Harriet. We can see the collection now.
0: And as the surrounding light started to just fade away, Rita gently takes Harriet's hand and they went through the open door together. So as the world sadly played out for Harriet, she'd done what we all do. She'd blended the things she knows, the things she'd seen and the things she really desired. The mocked up 18th century shoes on the smiling young man, ladling from the calibate spring the umbrella erroneously displayed in a shop window on a hot summer's day, the mirror she stared into through the gallery window as she contemplated what she would do had all become items displayed in Reader Cross's gallery. A collection of her day's experiences, the Wagner aria on the radio as she was driven in her limousine, the book of English philosophers balanced on the juggler's head, The advertising flyers for Darwin's house had all crept into her subconscious and been reused. Even the old black and white film on the television by the sleeping guard in the gatehouse had caught her subliminal attention. And who was Rita Cross? The blind gallery owner who'd been more than a little provocative as she steered Harriet towards what she really wanted. Well, she was the blind charity collector, standing in the sun at the end of the pantiles, her guide dog by her side, holding a tin for the benefit of the Red Cross. Had Harriet imagined a soft Scottish accent for Rita because it reminded her of a kindly comforting housemistress from so many years before? Who knows? Rita's dog. Jack Wills, was no more than the name of a shop Harriet had obviously strolled by in the sunshine. Do you mistake possessions for happiness? Do you spend time gathering possessions when the most important possession you have is your time? And time, well, that's a finite resource for all of us, isn't it? Should you be more judicious how and with whom you spend yours? Those will-o'-the-wisps that flicker through your sleeping mind tonight. Pay attention. Perhaps you'll be trying to tell yourself something you really should know. End of Harriet's Butterflies by Ben Henderson The characters were played by
1: Harriet Van Bregman Sally Halliwell Carew.
2: Mrs. Cross. Liz Heaney. The Doctor. Chris Murphy.
0: Additional characters were played by Clara Daly, Timothy Daly, with narration by Edward Kirkby. This is an Audio Theatre production. For more information or to volunteer, please visit audiotheatre.uk.